So we're in this series that we call, like you see up there, The Genius of Generosity, and Chip Ingram's book by that same title has been real insightful to my prep. And I got to tell you that I prayed for you this week. I prayed that in your 20-mile marches with Jesus, which if you have no idea what I'm talking about, go back to the New Year's weekend message. And I prayed that in your 20-mile marches with Jesus, that you actually took time this week and you spent time with God. Maybe you spent time with God and your spouse processing through those three homework questions that I gave you last week. Do you remember those? Remember what those are? Number one is this one. I mean, I saw lots of glazed eyes. Like, I have no idea. It's okay. I'm going to review for you. Am I using the treasure entrusted to me according to the owner's wishes? Capital O, owner, that's God. Am I using the treasure entrusted to me according to the owner's wishes? Two, am I carefully keeping an account of where the owner's treasure is going? And number three, am I becoming, and this is the biggie, It's the biggie, biggie, biggie. Am I becoming best friends with the owner, that's God, by managing, stewarding his treasure really well? Now, no harm, no foul if you forgot about those, though I would encourage you to cycle back and spend some time with God, maybe even with your spouse, on those questions. And here's what I promise you, that any time you spend with God around those questions will be faith-growing, faith-stretching, faith-challenging times. I promise you. We're going to continue as we've been doing to hear testimony from some Journey Church folks who are impassioned about generosity. And I want to show you the testimony of Rick and Sean Gillis. And let's hear their heart on generosity. Here we go. Being generous, I think, makes you feel more generous. It's it's a self-reciprocating process in terms of that. I mean, obviously, you know, the more you work on building relationships, those more more of those relationships will bless you. Um, the more you work on giving your money away, the less it really means to you and controls your life, and therefore you don't stress out about it as much. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how it's kind of reciprocating in terms of, of being generous. And that's why God calls us to be generous, because, again, he knows that that's in our best self-interest as Christians to reach out and do that. And so, again, you know, throughout our, our marriage and our relationship, that's really how we've lived and we've seen the blessings of that, you know, all the time in terms of, of how God has blessed us in that realm. I think one of the mm-hmm. things, too, that we heard younger on, earlier on in our marriage, that really, really struck a chord with how I think we feel about money in general is that it's like a river and not a pie, meaning, and not to be frivolent or frivolous and say, you know, oh, there's always going to be more or, or feel like you can just throw it away and, and waste it, but... If you give, more does seem to come and more mm-hmm. flows through you. It's not like a pie where there's only a certain amount and you have to hoard it and just give it out in little bits. I mean, I think the more gener- generous you are with it, the more generous you become in general. And then mm-hmm. generosity comes to you, too, through God's blessings. And there, I suppose there maybe is a little bit of a selfish reason. I feel, um, I don't know, I guess just what comes back on you when you are able to give just the great joy there's just a pure mm-hmm. joy and so that's maybe where the little bit of selfishness comes in when you when you see a need and you're able to meet it and then um something that we like to do is just send checks to people anonymously we'll get a, a bank note and mm-hmm. um, send it off and so they'll never know necessarily where it came from but it's always fun to kind of watch a little bit of the excitement around that we thought you know oh we could we could buy a four-wheeler we could buy snowmobiles we could have a fifth wheeler and go out camping but not every time we even sort of mm-hmm. think along those lines, we you have to weigh that against 
But think about what else we could do with our money. And it's never even a question. Well, and it's been interesting, too, because we've had opportunities, various financial opportunities come along, you know, maybe buying a different house or some vacation property or something like that. And, you know, we'll look at that and we'll kind of get excited at the moment. Um, and, you know, you kind of get drawn in by that, uh, the material possession thing. And, wow, wouldn't this be cool to live here and have this view and see this and do that? But then we step back from that and we say, well, what type of sacrifices would we have to make financially to live that lifestyle, to do that thing? And sure, we could have pushed through and we could have made that happen. And then we would have been working so hard to try to keep the stuff that we had and then also having to ratchet back on how much we were able to give to others. And so we're really thankful from that standpoint that God's kind of called us on that and said, okay, you know, yes, I can see your desire, your want to have that thing. But just be patient. I'll reward you in other ways, and and you will have much more benevolence than you would having that thing, whatever that thing is, whether it's a car or a house or, you know, those types of things. And so we've been really blessed from that standpoint to say, okay, you know, we could stretch ourselves a lot farther, um, but we chose not to. And and then we have and we can be benevolent towards others, which, just like Sean said, um, is such a great feeling when you can do that, especially anonymously. Um, is just a really cool thing to do. And one of the things we've also tried to convey to our kids is the same giving principles in terms of trying to get that 10% carved out to give to God through their allowance and everything else when they earn some money. Um, our uh, older son shovels driveways and mows lawns in the summer. And, you know, when he gets paid, you know, trying to keep him on task and getting those habits set early to say, all right, you need to give 10% to God um, because, again, he, he provided you those situations and to make sure that, that you give that to him too, uh, I think is an important thing to set for your kids uh, to get them in that mindset, that habit. And then it just becomes something you do, something we do as Christians. When we went to uh, give our pledge to the Not Without You campaign, uh, you know, we were praying about it and asking God, uh, what number are, are we talking about here? And uh, I think Sean had the number first. No, I kept ignoring it. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, you can't be serious. That's, that's like way too big. We can't stretch <laughs> that far, you know, and and, you know, God was certainly... In fact, I wouldn't even tell you. No, you wouldn't, absolutely. <laughs> and so, but he was definitely nudging her a lot more than me. And uh, so, anyway, finally, the number came out. I'm like, hmm, alrighty. So, and, um, you know, we thought, all right, well, we can make that work, and, and we will make that work. And so when we gave that commitment, then with my business, I had not had um, much going on. I'm in the consulting business, and the phone hadn't been ringing and that kind of thing. And it was just a couple days later that all of a sudden I got this one call from this company who wanted to hire me for six months. Um, and then I got another call within two hours of another company who was looking to hire me on as well. And this was had been six months and there had been the phone, phone had not rung at all. So again, is that coincidence? I don't know. But I thought it was pretty cool that just after we gave that commitment, then I felt like God showed up and said, now you bless me, now watch this. Yeah, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And then the following week, I come home with a bonus check that was out of the blue, completely unexpected. And, uh, yeah, I was, again, it was, it just goes back to the money theory where mm-hmm. you, it just kind of flows through you. It, it just keeps moving. Keep it moving. Right, right. And, and again, you know, like we've said that generosity is not, we, we aren't being generous so that we can have gifts bestowed upon us. We just do it because it's what God tells us to do. Um, and, again, it's also cool to reflect back and to see how he shows up and says, okay, if you trust in me, watch this, you know? And so I think oftentimes, you know, I've heard it said before, sometimes be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Mm-hmm. And, and when God shows up and everyone's surprised, you're like, why are you surprised? You were praying for that. And then he gave it to you. 
So don't think, whoa, well, that shouldn't have happened that way. Well, and it seemed like we, we committed to that number and then, you know, without quite knowing how it was going to work out and it's working out. So. Yeah, so that's very cool. Thanks very much, Rick and Sean, for sharing that fantastic word. So there was a guy once who was lost out in the desert. He was literally on the verge of dying of thirst. He had been wandering aimlessly through hot sand for days, growing weaker and weaker moment by moment. He knew that if he didn't find help soon, he would certainly expire. Finally, he saw off in the distance some palm trees, an oasis, he assumed, and he kept stumbling onward, hoping his frail body would have enough energy and strength to make it to that oasis. He did make it there. But upon his arrival at that little island of trees, he noticed something very, very strange. There was no pool of water there, no bubbling spring, not even a trickle of the life-giving water his body was so aching for. Instead, he saw only a pump, much like that one over there. And beside the pump were two objects, a small jar of water like that one over there, and a note tied to the bottle on a piece of parchment paper. He picked up the note in a hurry and he started to read it. The note explained how the leather gasket within the pump must be saturated with water in order for the pump to function, and how there's just enough water in the jar, in the bottle, to do that job. The note warned sternly, whatever you do, do not Drink the water into this jar. Every last drop must be poured into the opening at the base of the pump in order to soak that dry gasket. As the leather softened and expanded, then and only then would an unlimited supply of cold, fresh water be available. The note concluded with a careful reminder, be sure to refill the jar for the next person who happens by. Now, that guy faced a very high-stakes choice, didn't he? He was literally dying of thirst. And would he drink the only water visibly available to him, or would he believe the note, pour out the only water in sight in order to prime the pump? If he drank the water in the jar, as stale and hot and gross as it may have been, its liquid replenishment would stave off death's arrival, at least for a time. But would those few ounces be enough to sustain him until he found another source of water? Probably not, he reasoned. On the other hand, if he believed the note, followed its instruction, and the old pump didn't work at all, he would have squandered his only chance at survival. It seemed really quite foolish to pour out the only available water into a hole, even knowing that doing so could lead to an unlimited supply. And I tell you that story because that is the picture of the faith that it takes for us to be generous. That's the level of faith it takes for us to be generous. While it's absolutely true that God makes amazing promises to generous people, they can only be fulfilled by us first being generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. That's why this concept of generosity sort of cuts across our grain. Because it never seems wise to us to be generous with what we can see in exchange for what we can't see. As a matter of fact, generosity feels quite risky, doesn't it? Generosity requires faith. That's why it feels risky. Because it requires faith. It requires even great faith, I would offer. 
and what's true beyond the shadow of any doubt is that generosity is all about our faith in God. Generosity is all about our faith in God, especially how he asks us and invites us and calls us to rely and to depend on him, not on us. We've been talking for the past two weeks. This is week number three of four, by the way. We're going to wrap this series up next weekend. We've been talking for these past weeks about how generosity is just a win-win proposition. Generosity is one of the smartest ways that a person can live. The genius of generosity. God does make extravagant promises to generous people. Those promises are absolutely certain. When was the last time, for example, you knew God to break a promise he had made? He hasn't. He hasn't ever broken a promise that he's made. And yet there are those who don't believe God's promises. There are those who refuse to step out in faith and live generously. And by refusing to do so, they miss out on untold blessings from God. But then, there are those who do believe God. They believe all the way to the core of their being that God absolutely and entirely keeps his promises. And what do they do? They step out. They act in great faith. They choose to live generously. And they reap unimaginable rewards. And you absolutely know people who have decided to live like that, don't you? You know people who have believed God taken him at his word, believe that he keeps his promises, and so they go, they step out in great faith, they live generously. And what in the world do they have to show for it? You know what it is that they have to show for it? They have all the stories, don't they? They have all the amazing God stories. The people who choose to live by rugged faith in God have all these stories about how God has shown up in their lives, how he's using them in amazing ways, how he's providing for them in spectacular fashion. They have all the best God stories, don't they? Just a handful of years ago, after spending literally the bulk of my Christian life listening to everybody else's God stories, Dana and I made a conscious decision, my wife and I, we decided that we were going to live our lives in such a way that we would be regularly and frequently stepping out and living by faith. We decided that we were going to live as generously as we possibly could. We decided that we were going to invest eternally with everything that we ever had so that our kids and our family would have their own share of amazing God stories. And the eternal investments that generous people make, they have a payoff spiritual, relational, eternal, even tangible payoff. Why? Because God honors and blesses us when we courageously, anytime we courageously step out in faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six from the Bible. And it is impossible to please God without faith. And it is impossible to please God without faith. And lots of us read that verse, we know that verse intellectually, but how many people try to please God all the time without any faith at all? How many people decide, for example, that they're just going to try to live a better life so that their standing before God will somehow be improved? Millions of people try to do that every single day. It happens all the time, no faith required. I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to write myself before God somehow. But get this, that is not faith. That is not faith. 
That's someone just getting on their own self-improvement agenda. And people do it all the time, trying to please God without exercising any faith at all. They get about their own actions, their own effort, their own doing. And then they get all bummed out when they find out God's not all that impressed with them. And he's not impressed with them because they're not living by any exercise of faith at all. Real, true faith. The kind the Bible says pleases God looks like you and me living in ways in which if God doesn't show up, it's lights out. But most of the time, for most of us, we make our plans. We set our agendas. We strategize. We got it all figured out. And then we pray, oh yeah, God, it'd be really helpful if you'd show up and bless my endeavor that I've got going. It'd be great. I love you, Jesus. We do that all the time. And that's what I call trivializing God. Trivializing faith in God. And what that means is that for lots and lots of people, God becomes rather like, careful how you understand this word, I'm going to enunciate very clearly, God rather becomes like a condiment added to our lives. See what I mean? Condiment. E-N-T at the end condiment and you're going like what are you talking about let me unpack that what's a condiment's role its role is to make the main thing better you put ketchup on your burger to enhance the flavor of your burger you put syrup on your pancake to make it sweeter i love this word you put a dollop of whipped cream on your hot cocoa to make it richer and that's what a whole bunch of people do with God, completely trivializing him. They ask him to show up and be kind of like ketchup or syrup or dollop of whipped cream. God, if you just sort of show up and improve on what I've already got going on, because what I got going on, God, it's pretty good. I just need you to make it a little better. That is not faith in God. Where in all of that is the desperate dependence on him? There's no picture whatsoever in that of like clinging to the side of a cliff such that if God doesn't show up and catch you, you're done. The Bible says clearly, without faith, it is impossible, impossible, not possible to please God. And one of the primary growth engines to our faith, the kind of faith that pleases God, is our becoming habitually generous. And here's how that works. Faith increases generosity, and generosity increases faith. And some people still think that this is all about the money. It's not about the money. Generosity is about learning to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Generosity is about all of us not being in charge of our lives anymore. We've relinquished the steering wheel of our lives to God. It's you driving this car. Jesus, take the wheel. And see, to pray a prayer one time, asking God, maybe even pleading with God to save you from hell's torment, And then go on living the rest of your life the way that you want to live it. Without any consideration of what it means for God to be your savior, your lord, your boss. That isn't faith either. 
That's what I call a fairy tale. It's what I call a fairy tale, and it's a fairy tale that goes like this. God, you please save me from my sin. I'm going to keep right on living my way, and you take me to heaven when I die. I'm going to have my cake, and I'm going to eat it too. That isn't faith. Friends, that's a fairy tale. And how many people are living that very fairy tale right now? Doing whatever it is that they want to do. You fill in the blank of whatever it is. And they have absolutely no intention of doing anything differently. They just want God to show up and give them his best. When all the while they're saying to him, I'm going to do my thing, God. You do yours. You take me to heaven when I die. Help me not get into too deep a hot water down here. And please bless what I got going on. Thank you, Jesus. That's not faith. That's a fairy tale. And for people who live the fairy tale that they call faith, but it isn't really faith, it's just a fairy tale, for them, church is all about just feeling good. Church is all about just feeling good. And in that kind of a scenario, my job as a pastor, in the eyes of the fairy tailors, is just to stand up here and make you feel good. I'm supposed to be like the candy man doling out godly pleasantries. Nothing hard, nothing too controversial, nothing that presses into places that they don't want pressed into. Because remember, for the fairy tailors, they don't really care what God says about stuff. They just want to feel good. They're doing their own thing. God's just making their thing better, please. That isn't faith either. God actually has an end goal for us, all of us, and it's that our hearts would be fully devoted to him that our hearts would be literally all his and oh how god longs to see us living by such radical faith in him that we're hungry for god even through his people to press into the uncomfortable controversial places with us because we know that in doing so our heart becomes more and more and more devoted to him and less and less and less devoted to sin and self And when we're living really, truly by faith, the kind that pleases God, when our heart is fully devoted to him, when we're actually hungering for God to come into our lives and like clean house, that's when he shows up. And that's when he does some really fun, amazing, cool stuff in us. And the Apostle Paul, he talks about just some of what God wants to do in us when we're living by faith that pleases God, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, Paul writes, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. That's the guy just throwing out a handful or two of seed. He's gonna get a small crop, isn't he? But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And again, generosity isn't anything at all about God getting all your money. Generosity is about faith. It's not about a fairy tale. It's about faith that pleases God. Generosity is about us being fully devoted to God. It's about him having your heart. It's about utter dependence, reliance upon him. And Paul goes on a few verses later, 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources And then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always 
be generous. So you see, Paul writes, God gives the seed to the farmer. That gets to what we talked about last week, about how God owns everything. It's all his. It all comes from him. And that seed is the farmer's resource. In today's terms, that seed is all the money that God ever lets us have. And what's the farmer do with his resource, the seed? He uses some of it to make bread for he and his family. He's taking care of what God has asked him to take care of. And then after he does that, there's more left over. And the Bible says, God will increase your resources. That means the farmer, he's got a choice to make. What's he going to do with that increase in seed that God has provided for him? Does he just go build a bigger barn and store it there? Or does he reinvest that seed back into the ground so that it multiplies? This gets to the reason God gave it in the first place. God gave it, not so that it could just be stored up or hoarded in big barns. God gave it so that it could be reinvested back into the ground so that the harvest will increase. What's the harvest? Just so we're clear, it isn't necessarily more money. According to the text, God enriches us in every way. He enriches us in every way. Why? So that we can always be generous. Now I could list a a list of about 10,000 ways that God enriches us in every way. I'm just going to pick on one of them right now. How many times have we been moved to share our faith in Christ with somebody, to have the Jesus conversation with somebody, to just tell our story about how God has come into our heart and life and changed us, transformed us, made us new, started fresh and so. But how many times have we waved off of that nudge, that prompt, why? Because we're scared of what? Not having the right words to say, right? People say it all the time. I hear people say it all the time. I'd love to have that conversation, but I'm scared to death that I will not know what to say and I'll make God look like an idiot because I'll just sort of blumber and flumber Those aren't even words. My way through it. Making up words along the way. I won't know what to say. God, watch this. God enriching you in every way means all the way to that conversation about Jesus. He gives you the words to say such that God doesn't look like an idiot and you actually connect on a soul level with that person. Just one of the ways that God enriches us in every way. God assures abundance for every good work of his to be accomplished through us. He assures it. And Paul's going, look, God's going to give you everything you need in every situation you ever encounter so that you can always and forever be generous. You can't be too generous. Now, some people think that God blesses us so that we can have more, get more, buy more, and consume more. That is not true. God is generous to us. Why? So that we can be generous to others. God blesses us so that we can be a what? A blessing. And this is where a lot of Christians get stuck and they end up out on this sort of kooky island called the Prosperity Gospel Island. Ever heard of it? If you have no idea what it is, all you got to do is turn on Christian television, and it's pretty likely you'll see the prosperity, kooky island there. And the prosperity gospel, it goes like this. God's blessing in response to our generosity is an end unto itself. 
It's all about giving in order to get, which is as far from biblical teaching as you can ever imagine. Because you see, God's never going to bless us just so we can have bigger houses, fancier cars, or custom-made wardrobes, whatever it is that you want to have. But see, that's not the point. The prosperity gospel says that those things, fancier cars, bigger houses, custom-made wardrobes, they say it is the point. The prosperity gospel turns wealth into an end unto itself. You're generous, and in response, God multiplies your generosity, and he returns it to you, usually plus some. Like he pays it back with interest. It's kind of like spiritual gambling. God multiplies your gift, returns it to you, plus some, so that you can have more, get more, buy more, consume more, be generous, so you'll have more for you. That's not even close to what the Bible teaches Absolutely, God blesses those who are generous. But those blessings are not always material. Most, most of the time, God's blessings are so much more profound than just trivial stuff. And when God does happen to bless us materially, he blesses us so that we can generously leverage more of his resources for his kingdom. For the sake of the eternal destiny of souls. And God's been doing this from the very beginning of time. God's in the business of blessing so that others may be blessed. Look at what God does in that vein. Abraham, who's a God follower formerly known as Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Check this out. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. In essence, God's saying, leave everything that you've ever known. Leave it all. And go to the land that I will, what? Show you. What's Abram saying back to God in response? That sounds nice, God. But rather than you showing me, how about you what? How about you tell me? Tell me where we're going on this incredible, I'm gonna leave everything I've ever known Where are we going? And God's going, it doesn't matter. You just follow me. Because I'm all that matters. You just cling to me. You just exercise ruthless trust in me. That's all you need to know. I'm here. And we're going. And Abram's going like, whoa. I'd like to know where, please. Nope. And the promise goes... I will make you into a great nation, which was a remarkable promise to Abram in and of itself, wasn't it? I will bless you and make you famous, and what? You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All of the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's us. That's us. God blessed Abram, so that he could be a blessing even to us here and now. But you see, when God blesses you today, it isn't about you. It's not about God padding bank accounts, raising standards of living and so. When God blesses us, it's because he expects us to use what he's given us to be a blessing to others. We get more seed so we can sow it into the lives of others so that the kingdom of God can reap an even greater harvest of souls with God in eternity because souls live on forever and they either live with God or they live apart from God 
There's a bunch of stuff on your notes page that I'm skipping. But that might make some good 20-mile March with Jesus stuff this week. Some more homework, bottom of your notes page. Chew through that. And I want to say this in closing. We're going to land this ship. God wants to bless your life in every way imaginable. Simply because he loves you. Simply because he loves you. And he wants to do incredible, remarkable things in your heart and life. But those blessings are given with the intent that you're going to use them for more, way, way more than just your own pleasure and enjoyment. God blesses us every time so that we will be a blessing to others. And the key to that door is faith. In order to be generous, we must actually believe, not just, intellect, not just give intellectual assent. We must believe to the level of our souls that God is the one who provides. It all comes from him. It's all his, that he is good. And then we must at some point step off of the edge and go do it. Go act on that truth. And the Bible says very clearly That faith that doesn't act, faith that is just ethereal, faith that never hits the pavement in a tangible way. What's the Bible say about that kind of faith? It's dead. The Bible says that is dead faith. As a matter of fact, it's not even faith. Just like that lost guy out in the desert had to pour out his only visible water supply to access an abundant, endless supply, God invites you to generously pour out what we have so that we can experience his best. And the more we demonstrate that level of faith in him, this remarkable thing happens. The more he entrusts to us. Why? Because we prove to him, you're trustworthy. I can give you more because you're not just gonna hoard it. You're not just gonna make it about you and your pleasure and buying more, consuming more. You're leveraging it. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. And so I ask, what's it look like for you to pour out some of the water in your jar? We all have one. And live generously from here on out. What's that look like? Absolutely, that does not sound safe, does it? It's risky. But it's also one of the smartest moves any of us could ever make. And God says, come on. Give it a try. Give it a try. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Ruminate on these things with the Lord if you would. God, we want to be people whose faith is alive, vibrant, risk-taking.
Make us your faithful people, please, God. Make us the kind of people who believe to our very core that it isn't about us. It's about you. And it's about an eternal harvest of souls. And then God set us about living that way. All of our decisions, all of our actions, all of our words, that we'd actually live out this thing called faith. And admittedly, God, we're going to have days where we're going to go, God, I sure want to see where it is you're taking me or what it is you're doing, what it is you're asking me to be. I sure want to see it. On those days, God, help us trust even more. Help us to be even more dependent on you. Help us actually believe that apart from you, we can't do anything. Settle that into our hearts. And help us never, God, trivialize you and just turn you into a condiment where you're just showing up making our thing better. But that we would cling to you because you're God and we're not. You have the way mapped out and we don't. Help us get how incredibly much we need you. And then God, make us generous. May when the watching world looks on our lives, may one of the things that they say about us be, oh my gosh, they are so incredibly generous in every way. And God, we know how that glorifies you, and that's our aim. Your fame and your renown are the desires of our hearts. God, it's all about you.